Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. What's good? It's your girl, Odalis Jasmine, and y'all are listening to Hella Latino. Today, I'm talking to Ana Lopez, my LinkedIn sis, Centroamericana, hermana, y me tenia. She had me tearing up throughout this conversation. Let me tell you a little bit about Ana. So Ana is a Guatemalan-American social impact founder, designer, and Latina in tech living in Los Angeles. She has a business development role at LinkedIn and also co-founded Chica Mala to increase economic mobility and accessibility in her home country. Through Chica Mala, she partners with over 70 artisans from rural Guatemala to energize small economies specializing in handmade, one-of-a-kind clothing. Through Chica Mala, she is shining a light on the richness of her culture, the beauty of her home, all while creating a business that makes social, environmental, and educational impact. Excited for y'all to tune into this one. Let's jump right in. I'm excited that you're here. Finally, we've been planning this for like since we met at LinkedIn, which was when we first started. And now it's been a year and a half. I know. So I'm excited you're here. And I want to, man, like there's so much that I want to know about your story. Chica Mala. I want to get into everything. But just first, welcome, Anna. You're here. And I'm really honored to have you. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. And it's been officially a year since I think you opened up. And remember, we had a call before I started and I was still waiting for my offer at LinkedIn. Oh, that's right. And I just wanted to hear at that point, it was very important to go into a company that representation and, you know, diversity and equity was a big priority for them. So we had that call. So I wanted to learn a little bit more about your experience there and how you've been Oh my god that's so that feels like so long ago but yes we did have that call right before and now you've been at LinkedIn for a minute and you were doing the Latina in tech entrepreneur you're doing all the things it's it's so incredible let's jump into your story I want to start with the first question and that's how do you identify and why I definitely identify as Latina. I'm open to the term Latinx and definitely use it. But I think for me growing up, I've always been Latina, Guatemalteca, Chapina, and Guatemalan American, right? Like all things Latina and also love my identity as a California girl and the experiences that I've had from moving from Guatemala to, to California. Can you tell us a little bit about that immigration story? Because you are the immigrant. Like, what was that? What do you remember from that experience? Yeah, it is. It is wild that, you know, a lot of the stories that I hear about Im- immigration, right? It's it's primarily like the first gen kids talking about their dynamics with their immigrant parents. But for me, it's it's a little bit different because I myself am the person that immigrated here and I can 
My kids are going to be first gen, which is wild to think about. But I was 11 years old, which is definitely a really difficult time to have that type of change. In Guatemala, I was so close. I lived with my, you know, in, in Latin American countries, it's very traditional to be in a multi-generational household that's totally normal. So my parents actually built their apartment above my grandparents' house. So downstairs, it was my grandpa, my grandma, my aunt. And then upstairs, it was for, for a long time, me, my mom, and my dad. And then my brother came six years after. So I was 11. And leaving that nest of you know, complete love. And for six years, I was a, technically an only child for five adults to look after and to love and to nurture. So it was a really big adjustment. Also coming from an all-girls Catholic school, you know, like that's all I knew. Latinas, Catholic Latinas in uniform in an all-girls, you know, Catholic school. And then moving to California at 11, right? Like still very innocent. And then coming here and really diving into so many different cultures and so many different, you know, stereotypes at the time. Like I, I learned so much, but also went through a really difficult time. Um, it was in the middle of fifth grade. So I remember going to a pool party with all of my friends from school and saying, all right, guys, I'll see you in fifth grade. And I vividly remember like that was my last time talking to my best, best friends from Guatemala because my transition here was very quick. My dad had immigrated a year before and I thought, you know, he was just moving here for a year or two to be able to provide for the family and then come back. Obviously that didn't happen and it was a very quick turnaround. I don't know if maybe they were protecting us from maybe knowing for a really long time and letting that be like affect us, right? And not have a great last summer in Guatemala. And then moving here was in the middle of the school year because school years are different. So came into, you know, kids that had already formed these relationships from elementary school, mid, you know, and, and coming into fifth grade, about to go into sixth grade middle school, right? Which is probably the hardest time frame of, of anyone, teenage years. The worst. <laughs> yeah. So not knowing the language, right? Like only being in fifth grade classes for math, but then having to go to the third grade classes for English, like all of that, like really took a toll on me and it was an adjustment time period where I remember calling my grandparents all the time and crying to them that the kids were mean because they didn't understand me and I didn't fit in with the Mexican girls because I wasn't Mexican and no one knew what Guatemala was and I didn't fit in with the white girls because no one spoke my language so it was a, a very lonely time I think I had one friend and I still remember her her name is Cecilia she opened up you know her she was just kind, you know, and like talked to me in Span and like Spanglish and helped me navigate, you know, that first half a year in school. But it also helped mold a lot of who I am today. I think like having that level of adversity and like difficulties at such a young age and having to adjust to so many different things, right, all at once, like really helps you establish like the kind of person that you're going to be because I could have easily like you know been a, a little hermit and not wanted to connect with other people but that wasn't the life I was living in Guatemala I was a social butterfly like I was the kid that was performing at like any chance I could you know <laughs> like singing in the mall like you know random things like that so it just felt so distant from who I was 
this new person that just couldn't stand up for herself, couldn't communicate her needs or talk to anyone, right? So I think it really built a lot of character and helped me really build that foundation of resilience and adaptability that's helped me succeed, I think, now as an adult. Oh, my goodness. I'm trying to just picture little Anita like running around just like, how do you how do you speak English? How do you navigate this, especially in middle school? I mean, oof, all of my all of my um, just crazy wilds, all of it, like all the the things that any teenager would go through happened in middle school. What? What happened after that year of just, I feel like it was almost a year of transition for you of like, okay, this is my new reality. And I think you don't always have the words or the tools at that age to describe what you're going through. How, and I guess I'm trying to ask, like, was there vulnerability at home? Were you able to talk about the situations you were going through? Or how did you learn how to be resilient and get through those tough moments? Yeah, I it was half a year in fifth grade. And then in the summer, my mom put me in summer school for additional classes because she saw how difficult it was for me to just not be able to keep up at school. You know, I was always very into school, like loved learning and to have like literally the language be the obstacle for you not to be able to absorb what your teacher is telling you. It is a it's like a pretty <laughs> insane experience right so um in middle in summer school i remember reading the book holes and that's how i learned english in two months with a, a summer school teacher because she had less students a lot more time to you know spend time with each student right and it was primarily esl kids so i think that summer was very found like it was a huge foundation for me to just get over that and like be able to learn the language and come into middle school with like still my identity of what it was in Guatemala, but also adjusting to some of the changes that I knew I had to adjust to. And I think that's the middle school and high school, like now looking back as an adult and after going to college for psychology and social behavior and really understanding the stages of life and why you think the way you think, um, that was really the time where assimilation was my survival instinct so I think for me even like wanting my hair to be straight like I remember like you know like straining in like trying to be like as familiar to the kids here in America as as possible right like that pro approximation to whiteness too right like I, I immediately noticed like oh like that's opportunity like that right there that's how you how you get ahead right so for a child to be able to acknowledge that right and like change herself in a way that goes against like what you've learned your whole life I think was a a time period that now looking back helps me so much like with being so proud of who I am and like reclaiming my culture and my family and my values because at that time it was definitely like a survival mode you know and it triggers triggers emotion because it was a time period where that was all I could I could do right like just like how can I make friends that like maybe don't look like me but could get me into the groups that I want to be in or like into the classes that I want to be a part of or you know into the community that I I know is thriving so 
I think like, you know, women of color, like carry that. I think they carry that responsibility and like that pressure of like needing to succeed because you don't want kids growing up now that are going through that same experience, right? Like to have to do that, right? Like if you, if you move from a different country, like you should still be able to see people that look like you that are doing it, that are like making it happen. So I think now as an adult, I'm working through a lot of that, like in a way of like not feeling so much pressure and never like seeing your success like as enough, you know? So I would say like, yeah, it was like the most defining like period of time. It always like brings out emotion for sure. Oh my God. Ana, te quiero dar un abrazote. I, first of all, thank you for being vulnerable on the platform and, and for sharing your tears with us. I think it's so beautiful. And so I just want to give you otra vez un abrazote porque you're, you're here being vulnerable and real and something that a lot of immigrants experience. And it's something that I, I always tell my, my sisters, my brothers who came here when they were seven to 12 years old they experienced so many similarities. And I just had a conversation with my sister over the holidays. She came here when she was 12 years old. And she said, my mom was saying like, era algo difícil. Like it, it was so hard for my no. sister to get in, in this groove of being in America. And she had, I mean, same things as you, right? Trying to assimilate. My sister had big, beautiful, curly hair. Still does. She's getting back to it. But she started straightening her hair in school to be more like her Mexican friends or the white counterparts or just in close proximity to whiteness, like having curly hair wasn't cool in school, especially in, in her time. I think it was like 80s, 90s. Like, yeah, it, it wasn't a cool thing to, to have big curly hair or like and speaking so she talked, Spanish even, you know, like, or speaking Spanish. Yeah, it was it was not. And she said that she's like, it wasn't cool to be yeah. Latino. Like it was just, it was a big, especially in her time, it was a big Mexican-American culture here. And there was no space for Hondurans. Like they were the weirdos, essential Americans. Like, yeah, get you know what I mean? Right. Like it was, it's a different world. And I, I always have this special place in my heart for the immigrant experience because I don't understand it. And just seeing how much my sister has been affected by it it just it brings me all these like emotions and I am just honored that you're sharing your story because I hope that the people who are listening that don't know what that experience looks like and feels like you're giving them a window into it so totally. oh, thank you thank you thank you but what it sounds like and this is a beautiful part about our stories and our journeys is how it always comes kind of like full circle because you're talking about almost not 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 like putting yourself to the side or your culture to the side, but in a way assimilating to not be as Guatemalteca, right? To not be too different, to be more like them. And I think once we do that, we in a way start to deny where we come from and deny our story and deny our roots. But now you created Chicamala, which is all about like, Nuestras raíces, all about what the like. It's just all about these beautiful things that make you you. Mm -hmm. So talk about that journey of this time period that brought up a lot of assimilation, a little hard, like all those hard moments of you denying the the Guatemalteca in you, 
to starting to regain that culture and and who you are. Yeah. And I'm still really thankful that my parents chose California out of anywhere to immigrate to that. There was still a lot of diversity, right? And my school is just for me, like, as an ambitious young girl, like, immediately I saw where I needed to fit in to be able to get to where I wanted to be. Whether I was in Guatemala or here, I knew where I wanted to get to in my life. Like, that was very... That was instilled by my parents from a very young age. Like I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I knew I was going to be successful. Like there was no option about that. But, but right, like the way that I approached it in middle school and high school was to that approximation to whiteness. And then I think coming to college and really building a very strong Latina best friendship and community, right? And just being in an even more diverse scenario where you know, you would turn around and it was kids of all races and colors and shapes. And that was that was transformative for me. Like it was it was a good time period. And also all of the the classes, right, that I was taking to learn more about the history of even America and like why things are the way things are and why I feel the way I feel with, you know, proximity to what I thought was the only way that you could succeed. I think during the pandemic, a lot of people had a lot of time to like look inward and like just work through all the traumas and all the things in life that they've always known they maybe needed to work through. And I think especially during, you know, like the the 2020, you know, George Floyd and everything that that happened there, like that really hit me hard. And I was working for a recruiting firm at that point and specifically for the commercial division, which was all skilled trade and construction, general labor, you know, type of roles that only like primarily our community takes, right? Like, or is a part of like the majority of the folks that I was supporting and helping get jobs were people within our community. So that was beautiful up until the pandemic, right? Like once the pandemic happened, I was sending like my own people to work, you know, and it, I think that period of time really made me realize like, damn, corporate greed is a thing and I don't want to be a part of that. And that's when I think I, I started looking inward and like thinking like, how can I get back to my community? And it was the pandemic, right? Like I had met a group of artisans in my trip back home in 2018 and I remember hearing their stories and it was 30 women. And the only uh, way that they could remain a part of this co-op is that their kids would would go to school. Their kids had to be educated. They had to finish high school and they had to be in school for them to be a part of the co-op. And as long as they were abiding by those rules, they could be a part of the team. So to see like the resilience of that group of women in a remote you know, rural town in Guatemala, right? And like the, the their knowledge of knowing that knowledge is power and their kids could have a much better life than them if they can help them get there. But also hearing about them relying on tourism, right? From both American and European tourists to go to their shop and buy their beautiful products and survive and provide for all 30 families. 
So I reached out to them when we knew that the country was closed. I was actually planning a wedding in Guatemala in 2020. It was going to be March 2020. I have a photo of me and my husband in front of the airport, like with my wedding dress and a mask, like thinking we were actually going to get on this plane. And it was like the best thing that could have happened to me in the grand scheme of things that like this wedding got canceled and or rescheduled, right? Because I saw how much my vendors were you know, suffering at that point, like no income was coming in because all of the weddings were paused for the time being. And these are people that worked in, you know, like bigger companies in the city, right? And in Guatemala City. So I immediately thought of that group of women and like how they talked about relying on tourism and, you know, needing that constant income for them to be able to send their kids to school. And so I reached out to them and the first thing was just making pieces for me specifically that they can then ship to me so that I can just help them through that time. So I remember at the time I had just bought a home or we were in the process of buying a house. So I got a rug and I designed it and I designed a jacket for myself. I designed a, like, you know, like random little things that I knew I wanted that I had the time to design with them and be able to help this team. Right. And then we noticed it was shut down for a lot longer and that's when you know I had the idea of like well you can't sell it abroad or in the United States but I can like and we just designed some beautiful pieces that I can relate to that I love in collaboration with them right so why don't you send me 10 of those and then we'll see what happens and then I immediately just started selling them you know through with my friends and things like that and that's when the idea started and I was noticing how affected I was but by everything that was going on with the pandemic and working for that job where I was you know seeing my own people like go to work and be the the most affected demographic right out there people of color right and I was getting into this like depressive like the depression right like or angry I was just angry with the world and like with the way things were with with what was happening capitalism was who was getting affected right like with who was getting affected the most And that was just such a good way to like transfer all of those like negative and like angry emotions into something that ultimately will like remain and like somehow tie back to that like story of assimilation, you know, and like heal that too. Because ultimately, like, yes, I am taking pride of something that's been around in our our Mayan, you know, communities for centuries. And I'm helping preserve an art form that sometimes is not even valued by people in Guatemala you know what I mean so and and even in Guatemala too like I look back and I realize like the colorism that we have like no country is perfect that this is I think a global issue right like where in Guatemala it was like it indigenous communities and more Spanish looking communities they were just weren't like combined as much as they are today right and I think for me, being a part of both, like I was able to see really the different lives that my great grandmothers, for example, lived, right? Like one of them was like business owner. She's of Spanish descent and like was able to do some things that like women in the 30s were not doing. And like our whole family admires her because she was doing so much more than like women were doing at that time. But then I compare it to my indigenous grandmother and like how different her life played out. And it's not like one is better than the other, but it's not there wasn't like an equal opportunity for them to be able to attain 
the same thing oh, that, yeah. you know, one of them did. So it was also weirdly intertwined with like what I was going through at a job where I just wasn't happy anymore. Like noticing that like money was the only thing that mattered at a company that was already very traditional and corporate and like people weren't getting ahead. You know, they loved me because I was a high performer, but I wasn't necessarily being groomed as a leader, right? Like they didn't necessarily maybe see me as like someone who fits in with the boys club at the top, right? Like, and, and who, who that, who that is. And just, it was all just intertwined with like healing, like that, like period of time of like immigration where I assimilated and like was okay with knowing that like I was maybe less than and like, this is what I need to do or who I need to be like to like get ahead. And it worked, unfortunately, at, at, at those stages, right? Like it did. Yeah. yeah. But I think it doesn't have to anymore. And like that comes with other issues nowadays where I'm like getting ahead and seeing myself succeed so much and like getting all these wins, but also never feeling like I'm doing Ooh. enough. You know what I mean? Ooh. Girl, I have to read you this thing that I just I, I just posted it today about just the first generation story. And it's literally what you're talking about right now. It said, many of us try to honor our parents' sacrifices or our own sacrifices by overachieving. We tell ourselves that if we just earn enough money, have enough accolades, prestige degrees, then our parents' sacrifices will be worth it. We put ourselves under immense pressure to succeed at the cost of our well-being. This is your reminder that you don't have to earn your existence. It is so, like, I read that over and over and over today because that's just part of the immigrant first generation children of immigrant story is if I just succeed, like, it's going to be enough. If I just do this, it's going to be enough. And then you feel, and I'm, I'm navigating to, I'm, I'm navigating through this too. Yeah. You don't feel like enough at the end of it. It's totally. like, when, when, like, okay, I got here. Let me keep, let me keep going. And it's something I've always struggled with is I never, I never stay still enough to enjoy the wins. I always want more and I always totally. want more and I'm never satisfied. And I, I just posted something about taking my parents to LinkedIn before I like transitioned out. And it's funny because my first thought was like, last time they visited me, I was a broke college student. Now they're going to be so proud of me. But I was getting laid off. And so I, I brought them to LinkedIn. They saw my big girl apartment. They saw all these things. And then I still felt like it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't good yet. Like it wasn't right. enough yet. And I'm like, well, next time they're going to see me like this. And next time they're going to see me like that. And, you know, there's always this thought of, I guess, like, not terminado, which is good. It, it keeps me pushing, but like at the expense of our mental health, at the expense of our well-being. How do you, Anna, like, how are you navigating through that moment of, or moments, porque siempre sigue, right? How do you navigate through those moments of, this is not enough? This is not enough. I need to keep achieving. I need to keep going. I need to keep getting more. How do you navigate through that? Like, what do you tell yourself? Yeah. So I have my morning ritual every morning, even like before this call. Like, and I, this is something I think I started before the pandemic. And I'm so thankful that I was able to remain disciplined to myself to like continue it through the pandemic. Like, it could have been really easy to get off of that. But for me, it's just like the simple things, like getting enough sleep. And like 
working out in the morning and like eating, eating healthy and surrounding myself with people that don't suck out my energy or that does it doesn't feel like I'm constantly competing right with like because you know that that vibe that sometimes people give you or um, like, it's so important your tribe oh my god I mean I can't say it enough the people you surround yourself with are so so totally. so, so so important yeah you know it's funny quick no I'm curious if your mom yeah. did this my mom always told me before I even knew, she's like, esa amiga no me, no me gusta, esa amiga no, esa amiga no. Uh-huh. And I'm going to be like, ay, mami, no la conoces. And she would always be right. Always totally. be right. So totally. that energy, yeah. that vibe, so important. Yeah, totally. And then just like finding new people that I like just mesh well with, you know, like you and I probably yeah. would have never met, but like the second we met, it was just, it just clicked, you know, little things like that Instant. and like maintaining if I'm going to have new friends, they have to, like, you know, they have to be the sa- at the same ambition level as me. And like they want if they want similar things and maybe they have different opinions because that's totally OK. In fact, I think it's necessary. But at, at the very least, like we both have to be rooting for each other no matter what. Like that's a non-negotiable nowadays. And I also have a great partner and a really good relationship with my family. So that helps too, you know, to be able to rely on them. And it's nice to always be reminded, like, you know, you're doing like so much more than than you could be at this age right now. Like you're, you need to just sit down and like realize that instead of always thinking like it's not enough and you need to continue to get more and more and more. Because at the end of the day, I think life does, you only have one life. And if you're constantly working towards something, you're never going to enjoy what you have today. And so I think that's like that level of gratitude is something I always like, I even pray for it. You know, I'm like, please help me be like grateful for what I have like today and, and still give me like, you know, the strength to work towards what I want tomorrow, but it doesn't have to happen in a certain timeline or in a certain, and that's what I'm doing with Chikamale. You know, for me, like the priority is obviously being profitable and eventually being able to like devote myself to that and only that, but I'm not in a rush. I'm in an amazing company right now that's taking care of me and that's paying for what I'm, what the passions that I'm driving. And I'm learning so much from all these wonderful people that I'm working with. So it, it doesn't have to be like, in three years, I need to be at this point at Chica Malala because that sucks out the fun, you know? And like, for me, it's like, yes. as long as I can provide and give a lot of money to these small co-ops and towns in Guatemala, and as long as I know that like thousands of dollars are pouring into that community because of the work that we're doing here, that's really like all I need. And of course, like my goal is to expand the network. Like we started with 30. Now we are working with 72 artisans. So that's awesome. Wow. And obviously I want it to continue to grow. But again, I'm not I'm not putting pressure on that project because if anything, that's like my outlet of creativity and of giving back of social impact. But I will say one thing that I am very motivated by and also at the same time does put a little bit of pressure on me. There aren't a lot of indigenous and Guatemalan owned artisan companies out there. Like if you think about it, like the little market and all these, all these other companies are, are ran by white women. Right. And 
I'm thankful that at one point they thought of providing opportunities to, you know, countries like Guatemala and women in Guatemala that wouldn't have those options other way, otherwise. But I think it's time for us to be able to reclaim our art, our community. There's no one that's going to take care of your team as much as, you know, I, I was told I wouldn't succeed unless I had employees. Like, you're not going to succeed. You're not going to be profitable in the first oh. year. You And this was told to me by a white man that started a social impact business in Guatemala. And he's awesome. Like, he's doing such great things with this company. But he told me, you're not going to succeed if you don't have your own employees. It just will not work out. And we were profitable year one. You know what I mean? And like the quality. And I was like, no me conoces, okay? <laughs> yeah, and quality control is there because guess what? I speak perfect, like not only Spanish, but even like Spanish to the point where it's in our di- uh, our dialect, you know, like the way that we yeah. communicate is you're, just like. It is Guatemalteca, like up, yeah. Chapina. Exactly. Well, that's that's the power though of representation. And I feel like, I mean, you hear this term all the time, power, representation, power, like, yeah, it's a feeling though. It's, it's an experience. Yeah. When you feel like you are represented and funny enough, the the moment I learned this was when I went to Guatemala, which was, which was honestly the most beautiful so spiritual place that I've ever visited in my life. And I'm like excited for the day I get to go back, but I went there. I signed up for this random volunteer trip. Cause I'm like, I was going through a lot in that moment in my life. And I'm like, send me somewhere, please. Cause I just need to get out of America, <laughs> go travel. And I was the only Honduran, the only Latina in this group of all white people. And I was their everything. I was like, Odalis, can you go do this? Odalis, can you go talk to that person? Like I was the person talking to everyone. And I remember había una niñita que se pegó bien a mí. Like she was like attached to my hip. And she told me, she's like, it's so funny. Like, why are you here? Y le digo, como, como así. Y dice, bueno, los gringos siempre vienen acá. But she's like, los centroamericanos? Like, I've never seen a Honduran come here. Yeah. You know? And I was like, really? She's like, I've never seen a Guatemalan come here. Y me está, diciendo, me está contando todo el chisme, right? She's like, I've never seen anybody come here. Solo los gringos. Mm-hmm. And it was a moment for me because she might not even realize it now, but seeing someone like me who was born in the States, who my family is from Honduras, every single one of them, she might have seen herself represented in just me. And I I always think about her and I think about her so much and all the little kids I was able to be around. But being a Honduran woman, Honduran Americana, who went to Guatemala to be a teacher essentially and teach them about all these different things, teach them English. I just know that they were all close to me versus everyone else in the group because I showed them a reflection of themselves. Yeah. I was a mirror for them. And that moment for me was, I think, the start of my, if you want to call it diversity, inclusion, and belonging journey or just self love journey. Like that was the beginning of me realizing. That representation is an experience. It, it's yeah. a, it's it's just like an internal feeling that you get when you see someone who looks like you, especially, especially a Honduran, Central American, because we are not out here. Like when you see someone from Guatemala, from Honduras, from El Salvador, like you just get, yeah, you get all these butterflies. Like oh my god, like my people, 
and it's it's just beautiful yeah and i think that was like what you're doing is is deeper than just social impact you're providing these artisans and these vendors with representation with like mira like i haven't forgotten my roots like i'm still at the Mateca through and through totally. and that's such a beautiful healing journey that i'm listening like from from feeling like you had to deny where you came from to really loving and owning and providing a platform for where you came from like what a beautiful healing journey Anna yeah it really went 180 like it, it, <laughs> it took a long time you know it took a long time there was like even at the very very beginning like these moments of shame and you don't understand it because you're not actually ashamed it's just like how you're meant like how you're meant to feel I guess you know yeah. around a group that's maybe not as familiar with who you are or what you bring to the table and now I see it as my most like you know the the good friends that I made through high school and middle school that are still my best friends now tell me nowadays like but why well, why we loved you so much is because you were you like because your you know your family was was who you were like it was that's what we loved about you. So I did ultimately align myself with the right people and the right friends, but I think it was still a challenging time to want to be them instead of wanting to just be with them, you know, and like be a part of them, but also be very much myself. And representation shows up in every stage of my life. Like, you know, I think of LinkedIn where in my specific team, there's primarily women leaders which is really cool to see but you see it and it's primarily white women leaders too so I think there is still that gap and that need to prioritize like women of color right and like make sure that that's like even across the board because we are a big majority like Latinos and in, in the U.S. like we're ultimately bound to be the majority, the majority at some point, you know, and Soon. that's where Soon. we're headed or, or multiracial in general, right? Like I don't, I have so many yeah. friends that are in multiracial relationships and it's just bound to happen. So why delay that so much, you know, and why not? I wonder if sometimes like leaders at the top maybe get that pride of promoting people that maybe remind them of themselves and like they don't even want to be exclusive or anything like that but it just happens to be that way because like we're talking about how beautiful yeah. it is to like have that representation whenever we the few times that we have it they get to experience that all of the time right like white people get to experience that all of the time so it must be really like nice to like bring up folks that like remind you of yourselves but I think it's the best leaders out there are the ones that don't have those blockers and that could really like they don't expect more from people like you and me, you know, to like feel like we're ready enough or we're good enough for the next step. And I think there's a big difference right now. Like there's such a push on mentorship, but it's not just about mentorship. Like you need coaching and you need sponsorship. Like it's the three. You need mentorship, coaching and sponsorship. Yes. yes. And you That's and you true. need a mentor. And to that point, you need mentors that don't look like you. Yeah. And I, th this, this was like a, a mind blowing moment for me. I have a, I have a new mentor. It's funny to say this out loud, but she's a white woman and it's the first white woman mentor I've had. Um, 
are probably like the first in, in like a workplace setting. I think every time I walk into a company, I always try to find the Latinos and then I'm like, be my mentor, you know, which I did. I came into LinkedIn and a lot of my mentors are all Latino. And well, all Latino. She, <laughs> exactly. Really well. Shout out to Arlene and Colin um, and, and Posada. But like, it, it was so funny because I, I had a conversation with this woman who works on the Dibs team. And I just felt like she like got me. Like she doesn't she doesn't come from my same community. She we both struggled financially and we both bonded over just other social economic disparities that we had. But she allowed space for me, which was the first time I felt safe in the presence of a white counterpart. And it was interesting for me. And I was really like sitting with that feeling. And we just had the best conversations. Like she was just so dope and yeah. and like mentored me and coached me and didn't keep it, didn't keep it like surface level. She went deep. She's like, you need to do X, Y, Z. You need to do that. Like all these things. And I never told her she was my mentor, but she became a mentor. We had coffee chats every week and I just started to learn so much from her. And the one thing that I learned was negotiation. You hear it all the time. Like I was in a process of negotiating with the company and she was like, they can wait, ask for this, ask for that. And I was right. and you'd be cracking up. I'd be like, but AC, like, are they going to take this away from me? That was that was a like scarcity mindset. Right. I was like, they're right, going to take this right. away from me. And she's totally. like, no, they won't. Yeah. And it was like a moment. And I asked her, I was like, AC, like. Do you think that like black and latino communities are the ones being affected during these layoffs and like it's just statistically like it's so much harder for them to bounce back you know and she told me she's like that's it's real and the more that they lay off these black and latino communities the harder it is for them to get back on track because they keep being pushed away from these companies these opportunities but she told me she's like but the one thing i will say is that we need and she's like, we, she's like, as in like these, these communities of privilege, she's like, we need to mentor more people of color because people of color want to find other people of color to mentor them, but they're all dealing with the same adversities. You need to find people who don't look like you, who don't come from your same communities, who have a different level of access and privilege because doors can open. Not to say that doors will not open when you have a POC mentor, but doors open in different ways when you have people who don't look like you, who have yeah. different levels of levels of, of access of whatever. And it was a moment for me where I thought back, I'm like, all my mentors have been POCs and I'm forever grateful for them. But it is something to think about. Like right. we do find that comfort in people that look like us and speak our same language and come from the same communities. And there's things you don't have to explain or unpack or talk about. They just get you. But there's also power in having someone that doesn't look like you. And because of her push to negotiate and to wait and to remind me like, don't, don't get too worked up. Yeah. It's okay. They can wait. They met my offer right. and I was like, AC, what? And she's like, mm -hmm. she's like, I was in negotiation for a month or two, you know, just yeah. so that I can get what I wanted. And I want our community to have that level right. of like, I don't want to say audacity, but like audacity yeah, is the one word that's sure. coming up for me. Yeah. Like, 
we need that audacity to say like they're gonna wait for me because they want me here and I think that is part of you know you can hate it as much as you want but also you can recognize how it has helped you right like for me I think I realized that at a very young age like immediately I was learning so much like I remember you know asking financial questions for like to my to my white friends parents you know what I mean because they just had different different lives right like just they they had so long they they had been here for so long that they learned all of that along the way with my husband my husband is white I I ask his dad all the time I literally dive in and I am not I have no shame like I just ask like all of the questions and I demand and in any room or any scenario I I demand coaching and I demand learning and like if you're gonna make me a part of your team like I am going to like I vividly remember in my last job like I literally would put my chair between (laughs) between like my white guy friend and the director of the of that office and I would put it right in between like to like if you're gonna coach him I'm gonna listen in and I'm gonna be here right like you know what I mean like you might not come select me to be the one that you're coaching but you're gonna do it anyway because I'm performing and doing what you're asking me to do so the least that you could do is coach me and teach me and like make me a better person or I'm gonna just learn it regardless somehow else but I've had a lot of white mentors throughout my my whole life um and I think for me it was kind of the opposite like I just was seeking for or looking for similarity, you know, and like wanting to find a lot of people that looked like me. And what you're talking about with the layoffs and everything, I think our community also maybe sees ourselves or like our passions and like we're, if you think about it, like mental health, teaching, you know, childcare, like nursing, like all of these like very service driven roles are taken up by women of color and like people of color in general, you know, but we don't see, or or at least our generation, we didn't see a ton of C-suite or engineers oh. or gen- uh, general contractors, you know, that were us. So we just maybe didn't even think about that, you know, like I never threw, it never went through my head to study software engineering, but like if I went back, that's probably what I would have done. You know, I was smart enough to do it. I just didn't, even know that existed I didn't even know what that was so it's really important so many things you didn't know so many things yeah and financial literacy was I think one thing that I like dove deep into um I like forced myself to become like more than just basic level knowledgeable and like read a ton and asked a lot of questions and like seeked advice about that because it's so important and now whenever I do I do flash chats with a company called Dream Wakers, which is um, an online coaching uh, organization that uh, connects people like us, um, which are primarily in you know minorities, um, to kids that are in maybe you know less affluent communities. Um, and that's like my number one topic is like demand, demand coaching and demand you know take up your space and like learn as much as possible and like learn financial literacy like that's truly what we have to make sure our our littles know right like that they can do anything that they could be 
you know, in business development at a tech company, even if they don't see a ton of them themselves in there, that they could be engineers, they could be, they could be anything, you know, if they really just apply themselves and like learn. Um, so it's so important to, and I think a, a, an extra level of pressure, right? Like that's like, I need to succeed, not just for myself, but for my community, which goes back to <laughs> what we were talking about. It's, it's, it's all so kind of deeper. cycle. It's it's a cycle yeah. because we're we're doing it for I always say like you know that saying me like yeah like I see it as deeper like no somos de esta generación ni el otro like we are in the middle we're doing it for our future generations to build generational wealth and we're also doing it for our our viejitos our parents our grandparents like we're in the in between generation right. where we're like we want to take care of our our family and we also want to build for our future. And it's a lot. It's a lot of pressure for one person to carry. And I don't know. And I, I really don't know the answer. I think finding community, I, I will always, always, always be grateful for the pandemic. So many bad things happened. So I'm not grateful for those pieces, but I'm grateful that this podcast was born from it and that we have this community and these archived stories like yours that make us feel like we're not alone like we have someone that gets us that is going through the same thing that's maybe conquered a lot of the things that we're navigating but even deeper than that I think it's finding mentors and people just people in your life that are gonna root for you and love you and cheer you on every chapter every every step along the way yeah, and I and share I'm, the knowledge, right? Like, and share the knowledge, yeah. share the knowledge, and share the access to resources, their communities too, and their resources. I think that's so important. And I think if anyone's listening that is from those communities that have, you know, benefited throughout history, like that's the only thing I think we're asking for, right? Like, we need to be united. Like, it is a beautiful society. The fact that we can look around in the United States and there's so many of us, like. What country has that, you know, the ability for you to go, especially in like L.A. and where you're at in the Bay Area, like to be able to go out to eat and literally pick any any type of food in the world like that. What a privilege. Well, how beautiful that is. But at the end of the day, like if we work together, it it will be so much better for everyone. Right. And I think the way that people can help is providing mentorship, coaching, and sponsorship. So if you're, if I'm not in the room, you're saying my name and you're thinking of me for opportunities, you're providing access to your network and helping people like with the knowledge that you already have, right? If they're good to you, why wouldn't you, right? Um, and then just not expecting anything in return, really, like just doing it because out of the kindness of your heart and just to develop others that look, that don't only look like you. But they're women, they're people of color, they're younger, older, like whatever, whatever that might mean to you. Um, and I think that's something I've taken to heart. Like, I don't just focus on coaching, you know, women of color or, you know, like underrepresented communities. I'll coach anyone. Of course, I want to make sure that like the, the majority of those folks are people that don't necessarily have access to seeing someone that looks like them all the time. But at the end of the day, I will never not give myself to anyone that like is wanting to connect and wanting to get more from our relationship, you know? Um, so I think that's just important to, to always keep in mind. 
That's there was, I saw this funny um I saw this funny tweet that was like do white people go into a room and they're like look at all these white people in here <laughs> I'm like uh, no what is more that was the point of it right like they don't do that like there's still so much work to do when it comes to the black and Latino communities and seeing more of them especially in tech especially in these places of privilege and access and there's still a lot of work to be done, but slowly but surely, our people, our communities are making space. I think it's letting these executives and the higher ups, the one percenters in these companies know like there's find these communities like you need you need them here. Keep speaking up because <sighs> your product at the end of the day, like we are such a big like part of the consumer base that you're going to you're going to it's it's to your disadvantage to not do that you know what i mean like you have to be able to connect with all sorts of populations and you're not going to be able to genuinely do that if you're not putting people in the room in the c-suite room that look like the people that you're wanting to purchase your products and use your platforms right like it's just never going to happen and i think it's so beautiful too like that with your podcast like so very similar to Chica Mala, right? Like, I think we found an outlet to be able to put all of that sadness into and like anger into and like make it something like worth it, you know? So, yeah, I think we should be proud and sit in this win. Let's take a moment. Let's sit in it. I want to talk about Chica Mala. How can people find it, connect with it? Do they make their own designs through Chica Mala? Do they buy products that already exist? Can they do both? Mm-hmm. Like, tell me everything about Chica yeah. Mala. So we have both apparel and home goods. Um, everything is made by hand. So we just, we have textiles and ceramics. We work with about four co-ops in Guatemala. It started out with 30. Now we have 72 artisans that are doing these beautiful pieces for us. Um, I design the pieces in collaboration with my artists and partners. Um, and we create like the different patterns, the different fits, right? Uh, what you can find is you can find Haspe jackets, which look like this. And so Haspe beautiful. is an art form that has been around Mayan communities for centuries. So think about it as uh, tie-dye done backwards. By the time they're weaving this jacket and this, this textile on a backstrap loom, the pieces and the designs that you see here, which have been around for centuries and represent different elements of nature, right? Because indigenous communities were so connected to our, our nature. And they're also dyed with natural dyes. So it's all really elevating cultural practices that have been around for centuries and forever. We have ceramic pieces that we just created. We have cute little textile coasters and headbands of all colors so really just home goods pillows showing you my whole my whole inventory rugs and everything is 100 percent handmade 100 percent organic and biodegradable all of the products are sourced in guatemala uh dyed with natural dyes and you can find us at shop chicamala for instagram and tiktok and then shop chicamala.com is our website so shop chicamala.com is how i say it in spanish <laughs> um and yeah we we have a full e-commerce website and then we also do a lot of pop-ups um all around LA and we are going to be participating at West Coast Craft in June 10th and 11th which that happens in San Francisco so it's a really big uh event in the San Francisco area for everyone that wants to see us in the Bay Area that's listening from the Bay 
Um, but everything is also available online. So you can find it at shopchikamala.com. Punto com. Punto com. Shopchikamala.com. That's dot com. <laughs> that is so... I'm about to buy some things <laughs> after this, but I want to close this conversation out. Such a beautiful conversation, Anna. Again, thank you for being vulnerable, being you, being real, being Chica Manla, and for sharing your story with us. I want to have my cafecito that I haven't even, I've been so into this cheese, I, I haven't even sipped a hey, sip of it. Rain's cold already. <laughs> I know. You love it. <laughs> but I want to, I close out with the brindis and I want to give you the space, Anna. What do you want to cheers to and what do you want to manifest for our Latino community? I want to manifest all of the success and I want everyone to just not limit their dreams and know that they could do anything. And I want them to always know that in community, you could do anything. So really share your spaces, share your resources, bring your sister up, you know, and like also like we talked about, find mentorship that's outside of our community so that you can really strengthen your sense of self, right? Like self-awareness is so important. Um, self-development is so important. Like those are two things I, I value so much. So I'm manifesting all of the wealth all of the success and for them to dream as big as they want to dream and as they can dream and they can achieve anything if they just set their mind to it and they find the right groups of people that elevate them. Manifest Salud. Salud. Manifest to all of that. Big, big love to all my Centro Americanos. Big love to Anna. Thank you, girl, for keeping it real, keeping it 100 on this podcast. That's exactly what this space is all about. For those who are obsessed with her as I am, go to Shop Chica Mala everywhere to find those one-of-a-kind, beautiful, beautiful art and clothing and todo lo que necesitas, all straight from Guatemala. You can also find Anna on Latina Money Honey on Instagram and find her on LinkedIn. And for all of those who are listening, thank y'all so much for being in this space with me. I'll see y'all next week for more Cafecito and Chisme. For all Hello Latino updates, go to Hello Latino Podcast on Instagram. You can also follow me on my personal Instagram and also find me on LinkedIn. My website, odalisjasmine.com, has way more information. But for now, con mucho amor, tu amiga Nureña.